Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. We are so excited that you are joining us for the show today. This podcast aims to explore a biblical life view in a conversational tone. Let's join our host and founder of Servants of Grace, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I have Lucas as our guest. And guys, today's episode is brought to you by Lexum Press. Visit the Lexum Press blog at blog.lexumpress.com and receive two free ebooks for subscribing to their updates. One of these is the Ephesians commentary in the EEC series, which D.A. Carson calls unquestionably the best technical commentary on Ephesians. Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace race podcast lucas um glad to be here yeah man it's great i've i've enjoyed just chatting with you a little bit beforehand and would you uh just yeah would you just tell us a little bit about your life marriage ministry and some of the current projects that you're working on sure um yeah i've been married for uh 16 years now uh we have four kids um six nine thirteen fifteen so we have a full house it's fun all kinds of pets of different kinds um, I've been pastoring Christian Fellowship Church in Itasca, Illinois for 12 years, um, and that's been uh, an, an enjoyable time. I'm also a homiletics professor at uh, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Uh, started that, um, just finishing my first year there. Projects are, are pretty limited right now. I'm working on a PhD, which is uh, through a cooperative program between Gordon Conwell and London School of Theology. Uh, so that's keeping me pretty busy. <laughs> Between home life, seminary, uh, church, and studying. Yeah, that that definitely would keep you busy. Uh, what kind of pets do you have? Pets. Wow, we have uh, uh, two dogs. One we just adopted, a little puppy. Uh, we've got a a bunny, and we've got uh, a bearded dragon. Uh, uh, so, it, wait a minute. Sorts. Wait a minute. Say that again. You said bearded dragon. A bearded dragon. Yes, what, sir. What, what is that? It's not quite as fierce as it sounds. Uh, what is that about? <laughs> it's a lizard. This is a lizard. Oh, okay. Cool. A desert lizard kind of thing, you know. Oh, wow. Uh, so my two boys, uh, they, they wanted to get one of those and they take care of it. So they have fun with that. Wow, that sounds really interesting. I have I have uh, two dogs and two cats. So um, Yeah, so you, that's yeah. That's hot. I used to have, when I lived in Idaho, I had four dogs. So... Yeah, that, that oh, was... Oh, wow. you, you know what you're doing. No, I wouldn't say that. My wife's a farm girl <laughs> from southern Idaho, so she knows what she's doing. I'm, there you go. I'm just the city slicker, you know? I don't I don't know anything. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's sadly true. I laugh, but I, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. Well, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your book, Preaching to Be Heard, Delivering Sermons That Command Attention, why you wrote it, and how it's being received? Sure. Um, it... it... The book began as a, a, a project for my doctor of ministry, which uh, I did studying under Haddon Robinson, Scott Gibson, and, and others uh, at Gordon-Conwell. Um, I, I wanted to do a project on something, you know, real practical value to preachers. Um, so I, I pieced together some of the most helpful things that I've learned from other preachers and, and sort of put my own take on it. Um, I knew that I didn't want to cover everything. So it's not a preaching textbook um, 
sort of covering, you know, uh, how to dress, um, how to make an illustration. I just wanted it to be about commanding attention by employing the tension inherent in every text. Uh, that's it. So it's about 160 pages. They're small pages, too. It's not a standard size book. It's a little smaller. So I wanted it to, uh, to be brief, you know, succinct, get, get right to the point um, as much as possible. Um, and again, just how to command attention by using uh, the tension that's in the scriptural passage. Oh, nice. Well, I thought that it was really, uh, it's really helpful. I thought that it was interesting talking about commanding attention and how to get listeners' attention by, I think what you're trying to say is is focusing on the word. Um, I know you said you write for nine marks, so that's not a surprise that if you appreciate them, sure. that, uh, that your emphasis is pretty clear then throughout the work, or throughout your work on, on that expository preaching. So Yeah, yeah. Um, initially, I actually had an entire chapter devoted just to the nature of expository preaching. And uh, Lexham, I think, wisely uh, asked me to kind of cut that chapter, not cut the chapter, but not make it a chapter unto itself and just kind of put it, make it smaller so that the book is more focused on uh, the commanding attention part. So I compromise and I kind of put it in the preface, you know, in the introductory material there, and I kind of have it in other places. But I just wanted to make the point, you know, if, if you're not preaching what the text says, then uh, your sermon is not worth listening to in the first place, so the rest of the book doesn't <laughs> need not apply, you know. Um, so that's kind of the angle I took with it. Yeah, I don't think that I've read a book that specifically focuses on this. Um, so how do pastors and Bible teachers capture listeners' attention in a media-saturated culture? Yeah, the, the media saturation issue, I, I think that the general thinking out there is that preachers have to compete with media saturation, and I'm sure to some extent that's true. I just think that point is perhaps overplayed. Um, you know, when you look at the preaching literature, uh, people have been complaining about boring expository sermons for, for a pretty long time. <laughs> Um, You know, smartphones didn't make sermons boring. Preachers did. Mm. Uh, So I don't advocate the use of a ton of tech uh, for preaching. And and some hear me and and conclude that I'm against tech, PowerPoints and whatever, handouts, props. I'm not against. I do do push against it, uh, resist a little bit because I think it's the wrong solution. I think there's still power in good communication, uh, skilled rhetoric, uh, turn of phrase, um, basic rhetorical concepts and, and then of course the just the tension that already is latent within every text of scripture and I think that's not being um, taken advantage of um, you know and I, and I don't want preachers to feel like they have to adorn the text or buttress it with with real you know real attention getters the scripture the scripture then is, is not really the focus something else is and so I wanted to think about how can we uh, preach with an eye toward commanding attention rather than assuming attention but also in a way that that is less uh, gimmicky uh, and more focused on getting their attention to the text rather than winning their attention with something else. So you're not against what you're saying is that you're not against technology at all, but but you're against it if it takes away from the attention to the or, or the attention to the text. Right, I'm against it if it takes away from attention. I'm also against it if it's the go-to crutch. Right, if if I'm yeah. if I'm staying up late on Saturday nights thinking my sermon is incomplete 
complete just because I don't have that killer video clip yet. I, I just think I, I'm misunderstanding something about the nature of preaching. It, it's not based on needing a video clip. It's am I helping the listener understand how powerful this passage is? And if a video clip helps deliver that, then that's great. But it's not incomplete if I don't have a video clip. It's not incomplete if I don't have pictures to show. Um, you know, if I don't have a zoo animal to bring up on stage, you know, if I don't come out of the fog, if I'm not dressed like an Old Testament character. Again, is it is it ever helpful to, to bring out a goat on stage? Yeah, you know, that, that could be helpful. I just don't think we need to budget for that. I don't think it's necessary. And I think there's preachers that feel like it's necessary because if they don't have it, it's automatically boring, which is sort of um, acquiescing to the thought that Scripture itself is kind of boring. Um, I don't think scripture is boring. I think we need it's 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 inherently interesting. We need to discover how it's interesting and then convey that to to the listener. And then if uh, if I can think of a of a prop or an analogy or a picture, an illustration, a video that helps, then then that's cool. Uh, but I, I don't I don't want to burn my energy thinking about it all you know throughout the week. No, I, I think that's really helpful. Really, really helpful. Thank you. Well, you rightly, in my view, uh, and I think the majority of our listeners as well. Uh, believe in expository preaching as the ideal, and you argue for that on page 9 of this book. But you also say on page 14 that my problem wasn't that I wanted to command attention. My problem was the way I went about securing it. Uh, Can you tell us a bit about how you went about securing people's attention and why it was wrong, and how pastors and Bible teachers can learn from uh, what you've discovered on this topic? Sure. Yeah, I think think most preachers will gravitate toward some uh, attention-grabbing tool. You know, so some preachers will think that movement is the key. And so they'll pace, they'll walk up and down the aisles, they'll walk back and forth across the stage. Uh, some preachers will think it, they you know, they need to connect with visual learners, so every sermon, every point will have pictures up on the, on the screen or whatever. My, mine was um, analogies. Uh, I might think of a movie scene. I may not play it, but I'll recount it. Uh, or maybe an experience from my own life, you know, and then relate it in an analogous way to a particular point from Scripture. So again, analogies aren't bad. They can be really powerful and helpful, but my mistake was feeling like unless I had one, I didn't have a sermon. Uh, that unless I had one, I couldn't capture attention. So I, I, I kind of assumed that the text was boring to people. I mean, I didn't consciously assume that, but that was the effect. And uh, so I felt like I needed to prop the scripture up with something else. And I needed that something else. And it needed to be killer, a killer analogy. And actually, I was I was told I was pretty good at it. <laughs> it got to the point where uh, folks would come up to me after church uh, and say, wow, I really love your preaching. Your analogies are so great. And I would hear that so often. It dawned on me one day, I, I don't, and I never hear that, uh, wow, I really understand that passage now. Hmm. Wow, I want to go back and read more Psalms. Oh, wow, I, I want to go back and, and fin- I want to read the rest of the book of Judges now. It was always, wow, I can't wait every Sunday to hear the next analogy, that kind of thing. And that just started me thinking, uh, maybe maybe my sermons are um, not as effective as I thought they were. Hmm. I, I going begin back to what we just talked about, about the other, about the other thing, you know, making sure sure that we're focusing on what's uh, primary and not and not on what is uh, not primary so making sure that we're focusing more on the text and I think that's good um, what would what you just said uh, being uh, did were other people like helping you to see that or you just realized that as uh, from the feedback that you were getting from people about your sermon yeah you know I, I 
I think it dawned on me slowly. Uh, I, I don't think it started with a disillusionment about analogies. I think it actually started with uh, understanding how sermon structure works, how rhetorical patterns work when you're delivering a sermon. And uh, when I started understanding that better, I realized, wow, the, the power of communication is not in the dressing, right? The anecdotes, the humor, um, you know, insert a joke here, a quote there. Uh, it's not in the attention-grabbing devices. It's in the the layout. It's it's in the uh, what what Kenneth Burke, the, the famous rhetorician, would call the the psychology of the audience. It's the form that the that the uh, speech takes, the form itself. And so um, you can have a bunch of jokes and anecdotes and and everything like that. But if the structure itself is poor, you know they don't know where you're going with this. They don't know why they're supposed to be listening. Uh, where you know how are we going from here to there? You just have uh, your sermon is kind of uh, full of uh, devices, but but there's not a, a cohesion to it. And so I realized, wow, once you have that, the other things become less necessary. And so I, you know, if, if something occurs to me, uh, a scene from a movie or whatever, if it occurs to me, I, I might use it. But I, I want to focus more on the layout of the sermon because I think when that handled well the the listeners are, are engaged yeah I guess one of the things that strikes me both about the book and the way that you're talking is just your awareness of your yourself what how people are responding to you um, mm. and then and those things it, it struck me in reading the book too and, and now even more so just hearing you talk about it how important do you think that is for pastors just self-awareness yeah I think it's it's highly important I think you know when you when you're listening to feedback, uh, what kind of feedback is it? Is it, um, wow, I really like you, your personality is so great? Or is it, wow, I'm really feeling discipled here? Um, and, and it doesn't, you know, it's great to hear that, you're, that people appreciate your personality or your delivery style. But if, if there's a, a vacuum where you're not really hearing or seeing growth in people's maturity, then, you know, that could be something to uh, visit and, and think about, you know, what, what is it about the preaching that is leaving people, um, uh, you know, kind of focused on, on other things rather than what the text is trying to do uh, in their lives. So um, for me, it took the form of uh, sort of after service feedback that I would get in the lobby, <laughs> you know. Um, but you can go about it more formal ways uh, with surveys or having key people in your church, uh, you know, take them out to lunch or whatever and, and just ask uh, how what they think about the preaching and, and see if you can see some common denominators there. And that can lead to uh, positive results, but it can also point out some things to work on. Yeah, I think that's good. Um, in your book, you discuss the need to unveil the tension the passage will resolve and how it creates not only interest, but it also commands attention. What does this look like? like in your own sermons? Yeah, that's a good question. It can take um, various forms. Uh, so I, I look to see uh, essentially what issue or problem is being solved by the text. And I kind of get that from Second uh, Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scriptures, God breathed and it's profitable. And the reason why it's profitable is because it equips you, it completes you in some way. So that means that prior to that text's work in me, I was ill-equipped in some way. And if I was ill-equipped in some way such that it's now equipping me as a preacher i want to discover what that is how is the text taking a person from point a to point b what is point a and what is point b what is the what does the person look like where they're ill-equipped so so brian chapel calls us the fallen condition focus right there's some aspect about me where i need the grace of this passage in my life and so uh, I, I i refer to it as problem solution uh, but the text is equipping me and it can look 
like uh, rebuking a behavior, uh, correcting a belief. It could be teaching me what I didn't know prior. It could be training me in some way. It could be exhorting exhorting me, you know, maybe I'm in a place where I'm idle, uh, reminding me where I'm forgetful, encouraging me if I'm, you know, down or, or confused, you know, so those are, it, it, it doesn't always look the same way um, to, to, to say problem solution, that's kind of maybe simplifying it, um, but it's it, it takes various forms, um, and I think an important question to ask is, you know, what, what would be missing if the text in front of me were not there, if it didn't exist, if, if we didn't have this text, this passage, presenting this particular truth in the specific way that this text presents it, what would we be missing? And you want to capture that that unique contribution that uh, the reason why this passage was inspired to equip the saints in a particular way. That's not to say that it's going to be a novel truth that can't be found anywhere else in Scripture, but it is to say that uh, the, the truth in this passage is delivered in a particular way here. And so that's why the voice of this text is necessary. Um, so if, if your problem solution looks like, uh, you know, you can swap the text and, and the problem solution stays exactly the same, you might want to kind of linger there a little bit more and see how, how, how is this particular passage, what is it uniquely saying about this particular issue? And how is it uniquely equipping me to do something about it or to believe something about it? Uh, and I think that will help preachers get down to uh, the, the real import of any particular passage. I think that's really helpful, really helpful. How important? important is it that pastors and Bible teachers not only have excellent, excellent expository content, but also a suitable delivery plan? Definitely, we want to see both. Uh, I think the Christian preacher needs to be an exegete first, a rhetor second, right? So exegesis is first, rhetorical skill is second. But but to say it's second does is not to say it's unimportant, right? So I, I think some pastors, uh, they're exegetical animals, as they should be, and they study the text. Um, but, you know, maybe they go up there in the pulpit and they're they kind of, they're like running commentaries. Um, and I think that's... Um, missing that second important aspect of what a preacher should be doing, thinking about how to communicate persuasively and to communicate uh, powerfully. Of course, the power comes uh, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit comes alongside rhetoric. I mean, that's what preaching is. It's, it's a rhetorical proclamation of the Word. And so I would never want to invert the order and put rhetoric first and exegesis second. Uh, but I think we want to make sure we're not putting exegesis first and exegesis Jesus only, and then having no thought to, um, like you, like you said, a suitable delivery plan. I think that's we need to pay attention to that. Highly important. If no one's listening to your exegesis, what did it do, right? <laughs> if, if the people are checked out, you're talking to yourself up there, and so we we have we have uh, the onus to try to do the best we can to build a bridge with the listeners so that they can uh, hear the the message. Yeah, you remind me when you're when you were talking about this of something when I was a pastoral intern many years ago. Um, the I was and I was preaching the sermon actually when I was in seminary the seminary sermon I guess is what it's called I don't know maybe I just made that up <laughs> but <laughs> anyway uh, uh, and I remember this pastor saying you know he wasn't even worried about the content what he said was make sure you love the people with the word and I kind of hear that on what you're saying not just relaying information to give an information dump um, you know but to serve the people with the word you know to love them with the word it just kind of what you said just reminded me of that yeah i love them with word but that's good yep if you could sit down with a bible college or seminary student just starting to preach what would your advice be to them yeah i think work work hard at, at 
at both of those sides. Uh, work hard to be a, a, a good exegete, study scripture, try to understand what is happening in the text, the particular voice of the text. But, but don't uh, wake up one day and the last book you read on how to deliver a good sermon was, you know, 15, 20, 25 years ago when you were in seminary. You can't even remember the author's name. You know, pay, pay attention to rhetoric. Pay attention to uh, what makes a good introduction. Uh, how do you wrap up a sermon effectively? Um, how, how do you make it memorable? Um, what are some ways that you can deliver the same content, but in ways that impact the hearer more effectively? And I don't think that's to cheapen the work of the Holy Spirit. I think this is what we're expected uh, to do. So my advice would be to, as you're starting in Bible college or seminary, you're, you're starting out and thinking about these topics, these issues, these subjects. Uh, seminary should be uh, setting you on a path. Of learning, not to be the time that you learn, so that you never, you know, visit a book again, right? You're, you're taught how to learn, how to research, how to think synthetically, um, how to uh, argue with the authors that you read, and do your own research, and that should continue into the rest of your life. I think it should continue also in in homiletics and how how you do. For many of us pastors that are preaching every week, uh, we should be developing there and listening to what other preachers have to say as well. That's uh. Very well said. Are there any places where you would say for the Bible college or seminary student or even the new pastor where they should start reading in homiletics? Yeah, um, you know, I, I think uh, there are classic texts out there, and you can start with, with some of those, um, and each each of those will have its own particular strengths. Um, you know, I think if you are uh, thinking in terms of, um, you know, what, what preaching is, um, what your responsibilities are as a preacher. Uh, I think Brian Chappell's text, uh, Christ-Centered Preaching, I think it's uh, going to be really helpful there. Um, in terms of some of the nuts and bolts, in terms of, you know, um, effective introductions, transitions, uh, how to map out a sermon outline. Uh, Don Sanukian's book, um, Invitation to Biblical Preaching, put out by Craigle. Uh, Don Sanukian teaches up at, um, where is he, Talbot's Viola. So those are a couple books to, to start with. Um, um, that I think are, are really helpful. And then beyond that, you can have, you'll have more specified topics, um, whether you want to look into Christ-centered uh, preaching, preaching Christ from the Old Testament, or preaching contextually. Uh, I can think of Matthew Kim's latest book, Preaching with Cultural Intelligence, uh, to help you think in terms of the audience and the context in which you're preaching. So, so you know, different books will have different angles to help you, but I think we just want to be voracious readers, and, and we won't agree with everything that we see, but uh, we should be perennial learners. As, as preachers. I think we owe it to our congregation to stay sharp in, in those ways. How shocking um, that you're arguing for reading books on a book on a podcast about books. Make it stop. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, I just had to have a little fun with that. Um, <laughs> how important is it that pastors and Bible teachers continue to grow in their skill in handling the Word of God, no matter how educated and experienced they are in preaching and teaching? Right. So related to to um, you know what I was saying uh, just now, I, I think you know you, we you, you shouldn't assume that it's somehow uh, lowbrow or unspiritual to think hard about rhetorical strategy. Um, there's a reason the psalmist required you know playing the strings with skill, or uh, you know why why are spiritual gifts given? It's not to be gifted in one area but to serve in another god wants you to be competent where you serve right and so uh competency is not unspiritual uh it's good stewardship and if you have an opportunity to stand in front of a 
a group of people, you want to connect with them. And uh, that doesn't mean do a juggling act beforehand and, you know, kind of uh, condescend to to base your listener instincts or something like that. But I think it's to, to try to create that bridge from the text to the lives of your listeners rather than assuming the bridge is there and then simply launching into um, an explanation of the text and your people don't know why we're why we're there. Uh, they may have an inkling, a sense of that the, the idea that they should want to listen. Uh, it's Holy Scripture, I'm at church, uh, I should be obligated to listen, but that's not very motivating. I think if you can help them understand why they need to listen, that's going to be more a more effective approach. And that's that's not unspiritual. That is that's our obligation, I think, as preachers. Yeah, that's really good. You know, there's a lot of excellent writing and books out there to help pastors and Bible teachers, um, you know, help them make the point of the passage, the point of their sermon or their Bible study. And I also know there's a lot of considerations that we need to keep in mind, you know, depending on the type of biblical literature one is preaching or teaching on. But the question is, how do you personally point people to Jesus Christ in your own sermon? Yeah, um, so this is, you know, a really big topic. I, I touch on it in, in my book, um, but there, there's so much to be said here. Um, you know, I, I don't have a whole ta- taxonomy of approaches here, but basically there's there's different ways. Um, uh, a passage might connect to Christ through promise and fulfillment. Uh, there could be type and anti-type, right? Some kind of type that's fulfilled in Christ. Uh, there could be a direct prophecy. There's allusions and intimations. There's subtle patterns that you'll find across the Old Testament that are fulfilled in, in Christ. So uh, if, if one of those then it needs to bear out across the whole Old Testament uh, and not just backed up by your own fanciful imagination. It shouldn't feel like you're pulling a rabbit out of a hat when you get Christ from a passage. You should be able to draw the connections and show it here, show it there. This is a repeated pattern. This is a an established type. But, but even when those are not evident in a passage, uh, for me, at, at least I want to explain that the only way that we can appropriately respond to any text's demands is by resting our faith on Christ. Mm. Uh, that, that is not anti-works. Christ produces work in us, but I don't produce work without resting my faith on Christ. And so that's not something I ever want to assume my listeners remember or understand. Uh, I want to drive that home every Every chance I get. I think that's what the apostles did. I think that's how they handled Old Testament scripture. I think that's how they handled their preaching. That's how they handled their epistolary writing. And so that's how I want to handle my preaching. I want to make sure that um, they understand how works fit into uh, the redemptive plan that is uh, in Christ. Uh, and so it's, it's. I think we, each of us have, we have a, a natural uh, penchant, a bent toward works righteousness. And, uh, you know, so you can, you can preach from a gospel and miss the gospel. Mm. You know, Jesus preaching that you should be holy because the Father is holy. So go be holier, guys. Go home and be holier. All right. See you next week. God bless you. Uh, okay. How do I, how, <laughs> how do I get holy? How do I live in holiness? I know I'm going to fail this week. So what, what, where does that put me? And so we want to remind them that uh, Jesus raised the bar in the Sermon on the Mount. 
so that they can recognize their need for him, not so that they can recognize their ability to do it. It's not a you can do it sermon. It's a you can't do it sermon, uh, but you should do it. Well, how do you resolve that tension? I should do something I can't do. Well, I, I need Christ. And so um, I, I want to at least, if, if it's not through type and anatype, even then you can talk about typology for the entire length of the sermon and, and still miss the gospel. What is what is the point of the type? What's the point of Christ fulfilling a pattern? Well, well the point of it is that we are um, invited by God into a covenant based on the work of Christ so that we can produce work, so that we can fulfill the demands of the text. So I just want to contextualize every passage I'm in. I want to show the congregation, the audience, how it fits in the broader uh, redemptive scheme, because otherwise our our hearts that are bent on law-keeping will, will take take the passage out of context. So I just want to protect against that. Those are very well said. <clears throat> very, very well said. Thank you. Why is the introduction to the sermon a good time to develop tension? Yeah, uh, why we? Why watch all uh, to capture their attention? I want to capture their attention via interest, uh, and within seconds, they're they're going to decide whether to really listen to you or not. Uh, if you botch the introduction and they're not really listening, you know, it's not a fait accompli, right? That doesn't mean you can't get their attention back. But I, I don't want to wait. I want to get it to start with it, uh, to start with, and, and then keep it uh, if I can. That, that's why I want it to. to introduce attention right at the beginning and maybe an even more important reason is because it's an effective way to to orient your listeners to the text that you're about to expound so in the book i i, I don't promote uh you know setting up your introduction by commanding attention and then introducing the text what i'm commending is to introduce the text uh, or to to command attention by introducing the text you're, you're helping them understand the issue that we all universally share, uh, the problem that we have, the way in which we're ill-equipped. And then this morning, we're going to look at this passage, which is going to equip us uh, and, uh, where we need it. So uh, it, it's not um, insert funny joke here and then go to the text, right? It's, it's uh, how do we get the listeners to understand that they desperately need this passage and whatever I need to do to accomplish that, I'll do. And if it involves an anecdote or an example, life illustration, awesome. But the goal is to get them to want to turn to the page. So when you say, uh, turn with me this morning to, you know, Mark 6 or whatever, uh, you want to hear the, the, the tablets turning on. You want to hear the pages flipping. You, you, want them, you want to see them eager to get to the text because they're desirous to see uh, that this text is a treasure box. And inside that box is, is profit. There's profit in there for me. Um, so I, rather than assuming that, I want to just get that out, out on the table right away. Uh, and it's my way of saying, hey, I, don't, I need you to listen. You need you to listen, uh, not for what I have to say, but because this text is of eternal importance to you. Uh, we're not here just to have a sermon. We're not here. We're not in Galatians 5 because last week we're in Galatians 4. There's something special about to happen right now, and you need to hear it. So that's that's what I want to do in the introduction. And it, is it always effective? Uh, nope. <laughs> That's the goal. That's that's what I'm. Uh, that's how I'm thinking about the purpose of the introduction. So getting that tension out there right right away helps them see the the entire purpose of you know why they should listen for the next 30, 40 minutes or whatever it might be. That's uh that's that's again a really good answer. Um, very insightful. Thank you. Well, Lucas, there's a lot that we haven't talked about. Um, I know you even have a few appendixes that we haven't talked about in this book and other things as well. Just as we wrap up this conversation, as listeners go ahead and pick it up uh what would you want them to take away from reading your work 
Yeah, um, and, uh, I wish uh, that my preaching showcased what I advocate more, and I wish that, it, that, it, that they were more exemplary of, of what I'm trying to do. But you know, I'm still learning, and uh, I, I think if you if you read some of the concepts in this book and you feel uh, like it's commendable and you'd like to do it, but you feel frustrated, um, maybe you feel so far behind. Um, you know, just just choose choose one thing. If if you're not preaching expositionally, then forget all the the tension stuff. Just just stick with the text uh, and develop the discipline of sticking with the text uh, stick with the order of the text um, rather than topically arranging uh, every passage you get to try try to think okay let, let me think along with the author and, and, and try to preach a sermon that communicates what the text is communicating and let me get out of the way and then when you feel like you're really developing that then start thinking about okay how am I starting my sermon let's just let's just think about introductions for a little while and then spend several weeks just working on your introduction um, setting it up uh, bridging them to the text. Um, so in the book, I talk about your sermon introduction and then the segue to the text. Think about how you're moving from your introduction and then getting them to the passage to begin with. And just do that for several weeks. Um, and then look at the patterns, you know, which one is most comfortable for you. Maybe maybe you're used to preaching inductively. All right, well, do, do a few inductive sermons for several weeks in a row or something and, and get better at that. And so just take one thing at a time and, um, you know, keep revisiting. It's a pretty short book. I also reference other books that are really helpful. Pick those up. And, and uh, it's, it's something we develop over time. I'm still learning. I still have very challenging uh, weeks where I'm in a difficult text and uh, it takes longer than other weeks to, to prepare the sermon. So we're just perennial students continuing to learn. So don't be discouraged and, and keep pressing ahead, but, but don't give up the, uh, the commitment to both exegesis and sermon delivery. That is uh, really good. And, and one thing that I really appreciate about what you just said and how you said it was, uh, if you guys notice, just notice Lucas's humility. Um, be a humble student of the word you know we're not above the word we're under the word and we're to teach the word in love uh to people and so we're we're disciples we're learners so keep learning and keep growing and so uh lucas i'm really encouraged by this conversation thank you so much for coming on and just pray christ richest blessings on your work brother dave i really appreciate it and uh you know anytime it was, a, it was a joy. Sounds good. I'd like to thank Lexum Press for sponsoring today's episode. Don't forget to visit blog.lexumpress.com to receive a free commentary on Ephesians and a great book on preaching, both free for subscribing to their updates. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you were encouraged by today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. For more uplifting and thought-provoking content, please visit us online at servantsofgrace.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Servants of Grace and on Facebook at facebook.com slash servantsofgrace. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you next time.